Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Between Two Studs. I'm Alex Studd. And I'm Ron Studd. And today we have a special guest. I'm really excited to bring on uh, Matt Toll, who is the executive producer over at PHL 17, which is a local news affiliate in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, Matt, I've known for quite a long time. Actually, we were randomized freshman roommates, but I'm going to let him tell us all about that, talk all about what he's been up to, what local news is all about. Um, so to the stage, welcome, Matt Toll. How you doing? Uh, thank you for having me. This is very exciting. If 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 podcasts were an airline, this would be Spirit because we were quite delayed, but I'm very excited <laughs> to get on our way. You know, Spirit is always delayed, but it always gets you there eventually. Exactly right. And uh, yeah. no, it's, uh, I kid, it's, uh, uh, this is an exciting thing you guys have taken upon yourselves, and I'm happy to talk to you too because I have never met Ron. Yeah, this is the first time we're meeting. So, yeah. which is hard to believe. I mean, I've known Matt for we got to be about a dozen years now, right? We met in two thousand nine, so yes, that would be twelve years ago. It's hard to believe. Yeah, um, and I've met a lot of the stud crew. Met your mother and father a couple times. I know I was in Kate's company once, um, but yeah, never met Ron. Well, so, here we are. Here so we are. To, let's get to know each other, and, shall we? And by <laughs> yes. the way, Matt. By the way, Matt, I think we're going to take that as a slogan. We are the spirit <laughs> airlines of podcasts. I'm going to put it all over our feed. You know, <laughs> speaking of spirits, I think we got to start off with one. Fortunately, Matt also has Malort. And um, I, I think given that it's kind of becoming a tradition, let's kick this off with a nice uh, round of Malort. And I just want the listeners to know, uh, in honor of you two, I'm drinking this out of a Delaware shot glass. <laughs> That's awesome. So kind. It's a and I realized I probably poured way too big of a shot glass this time. <laughs> no such thing, Ron. Here we go. Cheers. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Matt, do you remember the first time you had Malort? Yeah, I do. I think I was, uh, I was, I was Google chatting with you, um, and it, it you put it perfectly. And you said, "Look, you said that the first three times are rough, but the fourth time, it just goes down smooth." And uh, this was probably my sixth shot of Malort now. I'm about, I know the people at home can't see, but I'm getting close to halfway through the bottle. Um, part of me kind of likes it, Alex. Yes, I'm telling I mean, you. Ron, I, I imagine Alex is the one that introduced you to this, right? Of, of course. But, I, I mean, if, if you're already that far in, two-fisted drinkers everywhere salute you, sir. <laughs> well, I mean, how many how many shots have you had of this so far, Ron? I know Alex is probably a couple bottles in, so I don't know. I want to say this is probably my second or third bottle in. Um, wow. Yeah. And and my thing is Alex keeps bringing them, so it's like I kind of have to. Um, but Malert, hey, it's it's fun. And you know what? I'm glad that we have an official drink for this podcast, even if it's kind of unofficial. Alex surprised me uh, in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Alex lives in Chicago and literally surprised me. I had no idea he was even on the East Coast. And drove it to my house unannounced and handed me this bottle for my birthday. So, <laughs> thank you, Alex. I, you know, I'm so glad. It's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Truly. So with that, let's get started. So Matt, how do you know Alex? So yes, um, he mentioned it just briefly in the introduction, but um, Alex and I went to Westchester University, and uh, it's in a very, you know, a very exciting time as you enter your freshman year because about I would say three or four months before you arrive to campus, you get an email stating actually i don't remember alex maybe it was a maybe it was snail mail but saying here's who your assigned roommate is so 
being 2009, of course, I went on Facebook and kind of searched Alex Studd, uh, found found a kid named Alex Studd, uh, and I just sent him a message. And I said, I think you're my my roommate at Westchester. You probably actually remember what I sent you word for word, Alex. That's well, no, that's exactly right. You said, uh, "Are you the?" You wrote, "Are you the Alex Stud going to Westchester this <laughs> fall?" If so, I think we're roommates. And uh, of course, we chatted a few weeks after that, and had the you know the the, the standard um, who's bringing the refrigerator, who's bringing exactly. who's bringing who's all got that the stuff. carpet, who's got the microwave. Yes, and I always tell this to people. Uh, I I got off the phone with with Matt, and immediately. Uh, I was with a buddy of mine, a high school friend, and he goes, "Hey, that's your that's your your new roommate. Like that's that's a big deal. What's what's he like? What do you think?" And I go, "Well, uh, you know, I really couldn't tell, but he seems cool. Um, I'll say this: he sounds like a sixty-five-year-old news anchor. <laughs> but other than that, you know, uh, and, and the rest is history, so to speak. We ended up living together for for freshman year, and then that led to us living together for three of our four years in college." Um, you're you're my my longest uh, running roommate before marriage. I don't think I still hold that title for you anymore. <laughs> but um, no, it led to a a, a lifelong friendship. Uh, and and if the listeners don't know, Alex was the best man in my wedding. So that's how I met Alex. Random roommate, and it worked out. Well, there you go. Uh, this next question we asked this to Ruben, and we got a very interesting response. I'll tell you what he said after you answer. Is there something that you have, whether it's a piece of art? whether it's something important, a material that would help define you or means a lot to you in any type uh, or way, shape or form. Um, you know what, as far as piece of art goes, you know, something that I own personally, maybe not. Um, but, and I know when you say kind of piece of art, you might think of like a picture hanging on a wall. I, I'm going to go a different route, which is uh, it is a piece of art, but it's a monument, Washington monument, right? Forget about Washington. I appreciate all the things he did and respect the man, obviously, founder of our nation. You know of the discoloration of the Washington Monument about a third of the way up. It changes colors. Yes. Uh, the nation went through the Civil War and they had to pause construction. So I always love the story behind that and kind of uh, that you kind of push on and soldier on and can complete something, even though uh, you might have some scars and bruises along the way. So that's a piece of art I've always kind of admired. Wow. That's a great answer. Let me tell you. What Ruben said last week. Okay. Because Ruben mentioned uh, an album. It was a comedy album. I don't even remember the guy's name. He's a comedian. It's like Tom Cooper or something. That's irrelevant. It's an album cover. And the comedian is mocking a Herb Alpert cover. Wait a minute. Can I guess the cover that he's mocking? Yes. Yes. Whipped cream and other delights. That's yes. exactly that right. Exactly it. That's exactly right. And so instead of um, the, the traditional affair of that Herb Alpert record, he's he's like in a bowl of spaghetti and meatballs, and he's like he's like licking off pasta sauce off his finger. So uh, I, as you know, Alex, I had the honor of uh, interviewing Herb Alpert back in college on a radio show, which I'm sure we're going to dive into in just a moment. But um, and yes, that was a very controversial and eye-opening album cover at the time. It is a a beautiful woman. Wearing nothing but uh, what what would you you would imply it would be whipped cream, but it's it was actually shaving cream. I learned because that, that held up longer to take photos. Um, yes, that's very funny. I can't believe that was Ruben's. And did, did does he know your love for Herb Alpert? Did he he only that? knows that album because I introduced him to Herb Alpert because you introduced me to Herb Alpert. It's like uh, the wow. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, except yeah. it's Herb Alpert. 
Exactly right. And it's actually funny because if you listen to the episode uh, that we did with Ruben, I actually completely stole all the credit and said Herb Alpert was the most famous person I ever interviewed. But technically – yeah. And you know what? Both of you were kind of starting me starting me to think that maybe that's like Westchester's claim to fame is like, hey, if you do a radio show, you get to interview Herb Alpert. <laughs> he does a, a semester rotation and everything. And he's just <laughs> like, yeah, Golden Rams, all about it. No Come on, radio, kids. Let's interview me. It's funny because actually, and we'll talk about this later. But Matt pulled all the strings to get Herb Alpert, which was like a personal hero of Matt's, and then Matt got me into Herb Alpert. Um, not just for his musical talents, but what he ended up doing for record labels and producing and all that good stuff. Um, but Matt brought him on to quote unquote, our show, which was called Toll yeah. time. And I don't think I even said a word to the man, but I take credit and say he was on our show. So I interviewed him, even though that's complete, even though it's complete bull crap. You, I believe you had a couple uh, comments during that interview. I don't know if you <laughs> asked a but no, it was, you were just as much a part of it as I was. So what you're it. saying is, especially given that we've probably spent about a half hour collectively on all of our episodes talking about Herb Alpert, <laughs> that you might actually help us get in contact with him for yet another interview. Is he you still know, alive? Uh, he is still alive. Uh, he is. Oh, gosh. I'd have to obviously fact check this, but I, I believe he's well into his. I believe he's over 80 at this point. I think so. Uh, all right. Well, we'll hold still out. Per- still performs. And who's, who knows? Maybe he would still uh, join us for a conversation for you two. You know, I'm actually really curious, Matt, um, as we kind of get into the meat about this a little bit, because you and I had a radio show together, which obviously that radio show predated me. You actually originally had that show with your sister, who was a little bit older than us. And Ron also had a radio show in college. I'm really curious to your thoughts uh, on radio. We're obviously talking on a podcast right now. What is your take on radio in 2021? Is radio dead? What's kind of going on right now? I, I think radio's, uh, look, all, all three of us are living through a stage where I think every channel of media has drastically transformed. Like, look, we still have newspapers. Newspapers are still valuable. But uh, you don't have newsrooms full of 300 people anymore. And and it's the same with radio. Um, and and TV's becoming the same way as well and, and has become it in some respects. Podcasts are are really stealing most of the thunder of radio now. There's still a ton of listeners to traditional radio, but podcasts have given people the opportunity to listen to something that is could be very niche and specific to their interests. There could be two guys from... There could be a guy in Delaware who is also a Bills fan, and oh my god, I found the perfect... It's almost like finding like a Bills bar in a random American city where you wouldn't expect to find one, right? And you can do that with podcasts. You can find that little diamond in the rough and you become a lifelong listener. So, you know, I look at people like Joe Rogan who started a rinky-dink podcast and now it's the most listened to in the country by far. That can really happen to anybody nowadays. And there's average Joes out there everywhere starting podcasts and, and getting a following. So that's how radio's changed for the most part. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a, a handful of very large companies that own most of the radio stations in the country now. And like any corporation, the focus is kind of cutting out the fat and finding a way to be profitable by spending the least amount of money possible. So there's less uniqueness to radio stations across the country now. A lot of things are syndicated. A lot of things are automated. You don't really need people and personalities in a lot of these stations anymore. So that's how the industry's changed. And th- this has all been very quick within the past 15 years, but 
drastically changing more and more each day. It's actually really interesting that you bring up, um, and I hadn't thought of it. So is, it, are you saying that radio, because they really have to be so conscious of trying to be profitable, they are not making the risks that they used to? They're not being oh. provocative. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 <laughs> there's different, I mean, there's radio, radio stations out there that, that try to be provocative and have um, a loyal, you know, following because they're different. But for the most part, you know, lack of a better expression is kind of white bread, right? You, you put out something that appeals to the most amount of people so that as many people will listen as possible. And you can tell your advertisers, hey, we're the number two station in this market because we play all the top 40 songs. That's more appealing to some advertisers. And hey, we just do talk about bills and it's a show that airs in Philadelphia. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, who does that, you know, who does that appeal to? So yeah, they're, they're trying to, like any company, right, um, getting the most bang for their buck. And, and yes, they can sometimes be afraid to take big chances like that. I mean, they can even – look, I know a lot of people who work in radio in both small and, and larger markets. They even uh, get uncomfortable when you play a song that's kind of out of their normal rotation. They don't, they don't want to take risk or, or risk losing one person changing the dial because you wanted to be different. Did you ever have an interest – in, in going into radio. And the reason I ask is you ended up going into local news. Like was yeah. radio a thought or did, was television always your way? Television was always the way. Um, I got started at the radio program at Westchester University because it was established. I would say the radio station that uh, existed when I arrived at Westchester was much different than the one when I left. But I always had more so of an interest in TV. And I think that probably stems back from like when I was – a kid and my dad always had like a video camera on his shoulder and i just always thought it was like really everybody used to always comment at like family parties like oh there's there's john toll action news which you guys probably know from growing up in delaware like action news is the leading news station in the philly area so i always like heard that growing up like oh there's dad with my camera in the news and i don't know i got involved i did the the morning news in both middle school and high school and wanted to do it at westchester right away but not a good program really didn't exist. So I kind of dove into the radio station and that led to more news at Westchester. Um, but the end goal was always to work in TV news. Was there a individual at action news that inspired you? Oh boy. I mean, there's, I mean, you guys know, like some of the faces on action news have been there a really long time. You've got Jim Gardner who's been there for 40 some years. Uh, Monica Malpass retired not too long ago. Rick Williams. Wait, she retired. Time. She did uh, pretty abruptly, actually, about two years ago. Uh, uh, Mark Howard. So kind of all those faces that you just kind of grew up seeing. Yeah. Um, I was like, I like what they do. And I guess for a long time, I thought I wanted to do that on TV and then wound up working behind the scenes and found that just as fulfilling as being on camera. So tell us now, what exactly is an executive producer? Because I think we've probably all heard about it, but what do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Even like when we get interns, most people before they work in TV, they know what the people on camera do. And besides that, okay, there's cameramen and women, but like the rest is just like, what, how does this happen? The, the main positions for a newscast in the control room, which is where the television comes to life, are a director and a producer. <laughs> and the producer, the show that goes on the air is pretty much their vision. They decide what order the stories go in which anchor reads what, hey, I want to toss the weather five minutes into the show, or, hey, there's too much news going on. We're going to do weather not until 20 minutes into the show. You know, obviously we have commercial breaks in a newscast, so they decide, you know, all right, I want to tease this story. That's a tease is, hey, coming up next, 
you won't believe what this cat did. They kind of, the whole order of the show and how it looks is their vision. And then mm-hmm. a, dire- a director brings that to life and is literally the one like punching up the cameras. Like, so, okay, Matt wanted to start the show off with a two shot of both anchors. He's the one making sure that he presses the right camera to do that. So that's what a producer does. And an executive producer is pretty much a manager, a manager position. And I kind of oversee the whole operation for our morning news at PHL 17. So anything that goes on our air has to go through me first, whether that's a guest that we book, I approve every script that goes out over the air, you know, deciding what our reporters are going to be on each day. Those are all the, the things I take part in every day. And of course, all the boring manager things like scheduling and all that. But that's my main goal is, or my main role is anything that goes on the air has to go through me. Well, I appreciate you explaining that because I think it is very confusing because I, I, I would even think, and let me know if I'm wrong, even the difference between a director and a producer within Hollywood is totally different. Like the way you just explained the executive producer or a producer at local news, it's your vision, right? You're the one who is deciding, uh, hey, let's let's push the weather seven minutes. Yep. Um, versus I would think in Hollywood that the vision is the director. Yeah, that's the, that's the main difference. And in in local news, it's, it's more of a team effort. Uh, probably leans more on the producer, but you will get pushback from the director or input rather, I won't say pushback. And the director might say like, hey, we can't do that, right? You wanna go from this camera shot to this one and we need time for the robotic camera to move across the floor so it's literally not possible. And directors can come back and, and we'll often get feedback. Hey, I th- here's a way I think you could tell the story better. Why don't we put the video in the monitors for that story and have the anchors walk from one monitor to the other? So. It's really a team effort, like a tango almost, between a director and a producer, what the show ends up looking like on air. And then the producer is also the person in the year of the anchors. So like if we're, you know, one of the crazy things about local news is that you work for several hours. Usually the, the, the newscast is usually towards the end of your shift. So you get into work and you work on a show for seven hours and then you get the, the control room and you, you're in the control booth for the actual show. And if breaking news happens, your entire show that you worked on for a full day's work gets thrown out the window and you are focused now on just covering one story. So uh, you're in the anchor's ear kind of telling them like, hey, there's been uh, a bad train crash. Our chopper's up over it. We're just going to go to that. And anchors, you just need to ad lib and talk over this because that's all we know right now. And you're just going to talk about what we see. And and they'll uh, have no cue cards at that point, right? I mean, you're there's point, no, no, there's no Ron Burgundy's. No. So, you know, breaking news, obviously you're going to get them the information that you, you have confirmed. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's a, you really need to rely on your talent to be able to carry things and have enough experience. I mean, look, that's why you don't see a person right out of college anchoring the news in New York city or Philadelphia. You need someone seasoned on that desk so that God forbid major breaking news happens. For example, the Capitol, right? You know, you turned on all the network news. You have some seasoned broadcasters being able to describe what was happening to you speak from experience about uh, maybe some parts that they've seen before or reference back to past events. Um, they need to kind of carry the broadcast along until your newsroom and your news desk is able to get more information confirmed. Well, you know, talk to us about that, Matt, because, you know, we grew up in Buffalo and I always felt like Buffalo was a stomping ground for people on their way up, right? It was you, you, like the Susarios of the world. Mm-hmm. She went up through Buffalo and then went to Philadelphia. Uh, I'm yep. really curious kind of that process of going up the ranks because in part you also had to hire an on-air team and you had to search all over the country for that. Like talk to us about what that process is like. What's the personality of these on-air people? 
So, yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say about being on-air talent and local news is your first probably five or ten years in this business, you make very little money. There are – so markets are ranked by a number. So New York is the largest market in, in the United States, followed by Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, and so on and so forth. When you start getting into these smaller towns, like right now I'm talking to you from Lower Delaware, I think this is market maybe 120-something. And as you're working way down that list, obviously the salary goes way down. I mean, there are people in starting markets that really qualify to be on food stamps. So, but that is so crucial. I mean, that is where every broadcaster has to get their start. You get into whatever market you can out of college and you, maybe your next job, you jump 20 markets and then you can get into the top 50 and then maybe you get into the top 25. And then obviously kind of the goal for anybody in local news, for the most part, some people fall in love with where they, they end up working, right? There might be broadcasters here in lower Delaware that, maybe had ambitions to go to New York someday, but fell in love with, with Southern Delaware and now plan on retiring from here someday. Uh, but most people's goal is to get into like a top 10 market. The process of, so that that's just one thing I want to get out of the way, the process of finding new talent. So yes, when I came on board to PHL 17, we were doing a 90 minute show, which was really a half hour show that just repeated itself three times. We had a small team of less than 10 people putting it together. And then we had a golden opportunity to, expand our news to three hours, which um, involved us finding a new on-air team, bringing in people behind the scenes, bringing in some new reporters. And lucky us, our company was like, hey, you know, we know you've wanted to expand for some time. Congratulations, you can. You're on the air in six weeks. So in six wow. weeks, we, yeah, we had to find a new anchor team, a meteorologist, and a new reporter. Those were the biggest ones we had to fill. So there are like agencies out there, luckily, that help tremendously when you're trying to do this. I mean, there's kind of like, a, there's one company we used specifically, and I'm not going to mention the name of it, but it was almost like an iTunes library, but of local news talent. So like you could scroll through, see their headshots, click on a link to see their demo reel, click on another link to see their resume. And that's what we used with, as well as other means of just reaching out to people we knew and other stations saying, hey, is there anyone you know who wants to move to a bigger market? And then it was a process of, I mean, this was every day for four weeks of us combing through people, flying people into Philadelphia, trying to fly people in together that we thought would be a good team on the desk, which ultimately actually ended up working out for us. Uh, our main anchors now are Nick Foley and Demetria Green. Nick was working in Cleveland. Demetria was working in uh, Alabama. And and we were like, you know, I bet Demetria would be good with this guy, Nick, from Cleveland. So we flew them in on the same day. And honestly, they just clicked right away when we had them. We threw them up on the set and we're like, all right, we've got some like sample scripts for you to do. We got some stories for you to react to and have fun with. Um, and it worked. And then our meteorologist, I had actually worked uh, with a little bit in at my previous job. She was like a part-time weather person. And I knew that she was uh, looking for, you know, to, to do something full-time again. So that all worked out. Monica Cryan, who's a, one of the stars of our morning news. Well, Matt, what happens if you have two tremendous talents uh, that just, they don't fit well together. I mean, does that happen? All the time. And, you know, so many stations go through a long process of finding the perfect talent and thinking they find a team that works together. And then you get a couple months into a show and you're like, God, this is dreadful. Like they either just don't hit it off or it almost feels awkward or fake. It's it's really tough to find a team that that just works well together. It often takes a long time Look, kind of like making friends, right? I mean, you you're you can be more natural and uh, conversational around people that you've known for ten years than someone you met at work a month ago. 
lucky for me, the team that we put together, and I'm not tooting my own horn, I think it was more luck than anything. I mean, some of the feedback we get about our show, one of the things we get the most is, wow, I can't believe they've only been working together for two years. Like, they just seem so funny and goofy and kind of cutting each other up. It seems like you're watching a team that's been doing this together for 15 years. So it can happen. I mean, and look, teams get separated because they don't work well together. It just depends. Like, late news is kind of when you're just reading the news, it almost doesn't matter as much how your talent gets along together. But if you're doing something like a morning show that relies on a lot of chat and ad lib, you want a team that can have a conversation. Speaking of, like, all the different changes that you kind of mentioned with putting together this team with such short notice – COVID has really kind of rocked all of our worlds, right? Tell us, how has that influenced your industry? Uh, it's been it's been crazy. Like, TV was one of those industries that, I mean, before March, there was no such thing as, like, working from home to do the news. It just, honestly, the thought would never even enter your head. I mean, you, we work in a building with millions of dollars of equipment because it takes a lot of money to put TV on the air. Uh, so you all go to the station that's got all that equipment and your reporters go to the field where they've got equipment to go live out from wherever. But as far as, especially like producers and directors, like doing that at home was, was literally unheard of up until March. And then like everybody, like so many other industries, we just had to kind of figure it out. So the, the, the first thing was, okay, getting enough computers for everybody to do this at home. So we sent home most of our staff during the pandemic, during the height of the pandemic and actually because in Philadelphia, things were, were on the rise again. We're pretty much back to like bare bone staff. There's two people in our newsroom every morning, uh, which used to be completely filled. And then there's still- What's filled room. look like? What's filled? Um, well, I mean, for the morning show, there's typically 25 people in there. Wow. And now we're doing two. And that's just the morning show. And, and we have a smaller operation at PHL 17. There are newsrooms- uh, in Philadelphia that have well over a hundred people who are working with maybe uh, four or five people in the newsroom, a shift. So it's, it's been crazy. Um, and then sending talent home, like asking an anchor to go anchor from their living room a year ago. If you said that, like, we'd be like, what, what are you talking about? But you send them home with equipment that you, you, you like, we're sending them home with really live equipment that a reporter would use in the field, but they're sending it up in their living room. And luckily I think, the world's just gotten used to not not having high standards when they watch a lot of live television anymore. I mean, if uh, two years ago, if you had watched the local news and the traffic anchor was in her kitchen, the anchor was sitting in front of their TV and a cat walks on their lap like halfway through the news, you'd be like, what the hell is this? But uh, that's just the norm now. So I still think news is a lot more productive when everyone's together and sharing idea ideas and yelling across the room to one another. So I'm very excited to, for us to all get back in the newsroom together. I know that's probably a couple months off at least, but we're getting it done. It, it slows things down a bit. You know, even me being the executive producer of the show, when I'm at work, I can get on a box and, and instantly say, we need to change this at home. No matter the best technology I'm watching on a, like a four or five second delay, which when something goes wrong on TV and I want to change it, it's too late. So it's uh, it's it's really changed the way news works, but made us realize, hey, you can get it done without everybody being in the newsroom. Let's switch gears, Matt, to something very fun. I, I love, you know, and I'm sure this must be terrifying for you when someone swears on live television. What's going on in your mind? Can you just walk us through? There's a something happens. You're on the the headset. You're a producer. What happens? Panic. Um, <laughs> 
sheer abject panic. And no, and no matter how long you've been in this business, when you hear a four-letter word go out, you feel that dropping sense in your stomach because there are very hefty fines that can come along as a result of that from the SEC. Not automatically. I mean, look, things happen on live TV, and there are some things that are out of your control. Unfortunately, there have been trends over the years of people running up to reporters and just saying really inappropriate things. There's a Howard Stern example that you know became an ongoing joke for decades. But the first thing you have to do is apologize. Because let's say someone did complain to the FCC and said, oh my God, I was watching this channel and they said this word and I'm really offended and, and the FCC launched an investigation. And if you don't prove that, that you did something to make this better um, and that this obviously wasn't your intention, you could be in some serious trouble. So I'll tell a story and I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to mention which station it was at, but it was a, it was a late news cast, cast, which if you've watched late news, it's usually more serious and buttoned up. It's, it's hard news. It's, it's not like yeah. like stuff like a morning show. And um, it was a Friday night and things always went wrong on a, on a Friday night. It seemed right. Like you're, you're waiting for the weekend. And for me, I'm always trying to get to the beach after work. So um, I'm like 10 minutes away from going to the beach. The show's almost done. And in the middle of our show, the anchor's talking, and out of nowhere, you hear this sound. And I'm not going to quote it completely, but it was something like, I don't give an F about that. But they didn't say yes, they, they said the word. <laughs> and all right. of us on the control were like, where did that come from? Like, was it a tape that played that, that you know, a piece of video that, that was it a microphone? So there's panic amongst us. Like, where did that come from? Literally, the first thing I said into the anchor's ear was apologize um, because she could hear it. And they have little earpieces and they usually can hear like other things going on that aren't in the studio. And so I didn't know anything. She didn't know anything other than, oh, my God, the F word just came out from somewhere. And so she said, we're really sorry for about what you heard. Uh, we don't know what just happened there, but we sincerely apologize, which was a great way of handling it because we didn't know what happened. And here's what did happen. I mentioned directors before kind of make the show come to life. Like if you want a two shot, they press the button for that. If you want to go to the weather camera, they do that. That's a dumbed down version. In reality, a lot of shows now are automated, which means a lot of the work of the director happens before the show. And instead of them during the show, pressing buttons in real time, which is what they used to have to do. It's all computer codes mm -hmm. now. So literally like they code the whole show before. And once the show starts, it's in a sense, kind of autopilot. Like the computer knows exactly what camera to go to it moves the audio board by itself and oprah's anchor mic one anchor mic two bring down weather it does all that it knows and an improper code was put into the show and at that exact moment that we heard the f word just happened to be the moment that someone in the newsroom who had a microphone on was talking to someone else talking to a producer and dropped an f-bomb and it went out over live tv so it's the kind of the, the rule in television is if you have a microphone on, just say a hot mic well, right. You you always need to assume a microphone is hot, and it's the same thing when you're in the studio. Even if you even if you're you know you're in a commercial break, you always want to be talking in an appropriate manner and not using curse words because it can so easily go over the air. So that that was the biggest like oh my god, someone's going to get fired over this. Nobody did, thank God. People got in trouble. Did you, did the um, FCC <laughs> find you guys? No. The FCC, so, um, and I'm basing this off of my knowledge on radio. I've not been, because I haven't been in a situation where we've gotten fined as a television station. Knock wood. Uh, you, you're in trouble if someone complains. Theoretically, if nobody brought it to the FCC's attention, 
it's fine. You're all good. Right. Now, that was an example that was obviously not intended. It wasn't an anchor going on air and being like, here's the effing news tonight. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, people don't want to hear those hear those words on television, and it's our job to make sure that doesn't happen. Wow. With that, so you're saying that there is no, like, you don't have, like, a two- or three-second window where you could potentially just – hit the scram button or something. Local and... local news is live. And yeah, we can bring down a microphone if we have to, but like it's after the fact. Like, it, yeah. like if someone ran into a reporter's live shop and stole their mic and just started saying a string of curse words, you're going to hear the first two. And then hopefully by then we're going to bring down their microphone so you don't hear the rest. But it is it is live. There is no cough button or sneeze button uh, for li- live local news. Well, and with that, Matt, what is your take on local news bloopers? Are they funny or cringeworthy? I find a lot of them funny. I do. I mean, I work on a morning show now that's so kind of go with the flow and more casual, and we are not a buttoned up, stuffy TV station. Um, so we have those bloopers a lot. In fact, I think people tune in and they don't even seem like bloopers anymore because you're watching real people, but I love it. I, I, I mean, look, I don't like when people steal a mic and curse, but like, when things go wrong in TV sometimes, I just think it's hysterical. Now, don't get me wrong. Almost every day, not almost every day, but every week there's something that happens in our show that wasn't planned. And we're like, I get on the box. I'm like, what was that? We, like, we got to fix that. And you kind of panic and you get frustrated because, you know, you worked so hard to try to put a clean show on the air. And then either a technical issue or an anchor not knowing where they were supposed to be, things go wrong. But uh, I always find humor in blooper reels. Do you guys? Oh, it's one of my favorite things. I, when I have nothing to do on a Friday night, and I'm, you know, I've had a couple drinks. YouTube, uh, <laughs> TV, local news broadcast bloopers. I think they're so funny. Do you have a favorite one? Oh, you put me on the spot. I don't know. I don't have one. So I'll, I'll give you on you have one? Okay. You've probably seen it. It's, uh, it's this guy. It, I think it was like a Southern market, and he, it's because he's really hot because he says like – excuse my French god damn it's hot and then he's like doing a um a recorded uh stand-up that will later air later in a newscast and he's like live out here from Davidson County Jail and then a fly goes in his mouth and he's like god damn it because <laughs> <laughs> everybody look everybody knew this is kind of like yeah they've got that like kind of polished news thing but they're normal people off camera and when that kind of breaks through in a blooper I love that with all the kind of hijinks that does happen, and I, I, I am, I'm with you. I think that they're hilarious because I think one of the things that's great is watching like anchors and reporters who have to be so stoic for the most part. And it's like literally somebody's stripping down in back of them, screaming their head off about, I don't know, frogs or something. <laughs> and you're just like, and that's how it is out here. And you're just like, wow. I mean, it's awesome. But right. it's also like, wow, we live in a crazy world. Yeah. But with that, a question I have for you is, you know, I'm thinking of two recent movies. We already mentioned one of them, Anchorman, and and also like Bruce Almighty, right? They're kind of movies that kind of show you a little bit about what happens behind the desk. Yeah. What are your thoughts on those movies? And, you know, what do they get right? What do they get wrong? Anchorman is tough because it, it's, I mean, the 70s television was so much of a different era than than today. But what I will say is they portray the characters in Anchorman with like a level of celebrity that might seem exaggerated watching it nowadays, but like that was the case in the seventies. And and even I mean there are still celebrities in local news, but I was gonna say Jim Gardner still has that kind of status in Philadelphia. Absolutely. 
but yeah, there was a the golden age kind of of local news, well, I, and I don't want to define when that was, but back in the seventies when you were on TV and there were kind of less stations and there was no cable news, like people knew your talent. So that part they got really right. The rest of it's it's a hysterical movie, but the rest of it's funny. Um, as far as Bruce Almighty goes, I mean, one of the things that stands out is, uh, yes, it's kind of true that with certain talent, if you if you put something in prompter, they're going to read it, you know, and not that we ever put in things that are going to mess them up on purpose, but every once in a while, like, look, so there's a team of writers that writes what the anchors reads and, you know, look, the anchors are supposed to go through scripts, the head of the show and, and know the story they're reading first. And they do that. But there, mm-hmm. if there are days when either there's breaking news or there is just a ton to get to, and maybe the anchor didn't read every single thing, they might get to a script that you wrote and you wanted to read that, read it in a certain way. And, and they didn't read it that way. So that happens where it's like, well, that's not what we wanted. Or look, there are, there are some days where like copy gets in that shouldn't have been there. Uh, there was a, a, something I saw at a station I worked at once where the instructions for like the video editor wound up in the script. So like, so like a writer might put in the, in the instructions, like, Hey, I want to start with the shot of the crime scene tape and then show the police, like putting down the evidence markers and the anchors up there reading like, Police are investigating a shooting in Southwest Philadelphia. I want to start with the shot of the <laughs> and, then, and then they kind of realize, like, oh wait. Uh, so that's always embarrassing. And when you work in TV, you've realized bloopers happen a whole lot more often than YouTube catches up on, or the, even the viewer. Like things go wrong all the time, no matter what the station, no matter what the market. Well, especially when you're going on for what four hours a day. I mean, it's just it's just yeah, natural. It's a, <laughs> exactly yeah there's no way you're gonna be perfect and luckily i'm a morning show where things are kind of more lax anyway ask your dad your dad's a huge fan of our show. oh i know he is uh, <laughs> but uh yeah bloopers are fun hey last question about local news because you, okay. you kind of alluded to this i'm curious your take on local news how do they compete with the cnns of the world i mean how do you remain relevant in 2021 so I am a Nexstar station, which uh, Nexstar is a company that it's a company that owns my station, and they own more local TV stations than any other company in the country. And they just took on a new venture to launch a competing show with with some of the cable news stations. So there's a station on cable called WGN America that Nexstar just created a show called News Nation, which is like a three hour national primetime news show. There's also a show with Ashley Banfield, who used to be on Headline News on CNN. She's getting a show. So they're kind of slowly transforming WGN into a, a news network, number one. But the first part of that is it's local news. And so that's what's always going to make local news separate from CNN and MSNBC is there's always going to need to be a voice for the people in your community, right? You know, yes, we know that a ton of businesses are affected by shutdowns across the country. But like when you hear stories of the people in your neighborhood and they're telling you how yeah, uh, Pennsylvania promised us this loan, but uh, they never delivered or things like that. Local news journalists can hold people accountable and give a voice to people who otherwise wouldn't have one. So I don't think that's ever going to go away. That is what sets local news apart from watching cable news. And there's a look, it's kind of like you could go to a Buffalo Wild Wings anywhere in the country, but you'd probably much rather go to the Beef and Barrel in Olean, right? You're, you're going to want something that makes you feel like you're connected to your hometown. Like CNN's not going to give you your local weather. And we are. And CNN's not going to tell you 95 shut down right now in your nifty fifties because a tractor trailer overturned. We're going to do that. So 
that's why local news is important. I know that was kind of like my uh, my soapbox. But. Listen, I love the beef and barrel uh, plug. <laughs> Big fan of that one. I need to take you there at some point, actually. Uh, but no, I appreciate you saying that. And, and actually, you know, kind of as a follow up to that, I'm, you know, with with local news uh, in the form of newspapers really dying off, a lot of them are closing. I wonder what your take is. I almost feel like the only way to get local news stories now is through literally on television, the local news stations, because the newspapers are gone. Yeah. And, and, and the ones that still remain are just a, a um, much thinner and bare bones version of what they used to be. It's, it's kind of, it's TV's job, all these TV stations to get in front of people and other means. So I know our company is very big on investing in, in digital. So making sure that digital is not an afterthought. Yes. Yes. We're a television station, but we also put out news. So our, you know, they they tell us make sure that when you get a story web is not the afterthought it's okay we got to get this on television on the web right away and it's getting through to people on social media so television stations are really trying to build a brand not only on tv but through their websites and social media and get and getting a following that way and and apps there are some apps at least in philadelphia i mean you'd be surprised how many people have downloaded some of the local news apps for these television stations that there are still a ton of people consuming news from our local news networks, even though TV is not the end all be all anymore. We've lived in Buffalo area. We lived in Philly. I'm always kind of thinking of the kooky person on the news team who always just has personality, who's willing to be like, I'm going to go to the largest rubber band ball or something. What value? And you know, it's weird. I don't think I really see that at the national level. Is there something about having that type of personality at the local level, or is that still maybe more too regional, smaller television? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it can be tough, right? Like the Today Show, for example, they'll still do fun live shots like that, but it's hard. It, it's hard to do a live shot, and and we use the word in our newsroom like you never want to air something that's too hyper local to a certain area of the country, right? So. We're an X-Star station, which means we can pull from the 120 other newsrooms in the country. If they have a good story we want to run, we can run it. But you need to make sure that whatever story you're running isn't too specific to that market, if you know what I mean. So mm -hmm. if it's got a ton of references to things that people in Philadelphia just aren't going to understand or words that they might not understand, just like Philly, you know, if, if we aired uh, an interview with someone who kept saying water uh, and used guys, Another station must be like we, we don't don't forget don't forget John John right so another another market <laughs> might be like what what does this even mean this this interview yeah it it can be tough yeah, local news is a good place to find like that fun kooky goofy stuff uh, in your market that people watching a national newscast might be like well I'm never gonna drive to go see Longwood Gardens or. Uh, I'm not going to go to the doghouse in Newcastle because I live in Kansas. That's kind of the luxury we have. And we do that on our morning show. We've got a reporter on news every day. And the other reporter is just on something fun, whether it's going to a really well-known restaurant or the circus is in town and they're on the trapeze. It gives people, we're giving people the news, but we're also saying like, hey, here's really fun stuff happening in our area right now that you can go take part. Well, and I think that was for Ron and I, that was our introduction to local news when we were kids. We used to watch... Uh, Channel 4 in Buffalo. I don't even know who they were affiliated with, but there was a guy named the Y guy. And the y Kevin O'Neill. Kevin O'Neill. Who I think, is he still in Buffalo? It's been like, 
I think he, I, I think know, he is. Probably not. And it's been like, you know, however many years. And he'd always be, you know, the stereotypical, here's the, the largest chocolate chip cookie in the country, right? Or whatever it is. <laughs> and that was always a delight. That was always so much but fun. But you remember that. Right. Yes. And that's what we found with our show. It's like, look, people, when they get to work, aren't going to go for the most part, right? They're not going to go in and be like, oh, did you see all the overnight shootings in Philadelphia? Like, they're not going to bring that up with a water cooler. <laughs> but yeah. they might say like, oh my God, I saw the funniest thing on PHL 17. Uh, she was doing yoga with a goat. Like, that's the things that people remember. And I always tell our team when we're, when we're looking, we call those feature live shots. So you have a reporter on news and then we have a reporter on features, which is the fun stuff. You want to show people something they've never seen before. And that's the things that are going to get you talking when you go to work and, and that's what we, we strive for. Yeah. Hey, Matt, so kind of switching gears away from local news. I think what's one of the things that's always impressed me is anytime I talk to you, I feel like you're working on a new side project. You know, between WCU Weekly, which I know we didn't even talk about, but that was really your, your introduction into local news. And you did news for the Westchester University community. But then you had a side business where you were doing psyched media, where you were doing a lot of productions uh, and work yes. for local businesses. And you had your father's cigar show. I feel like you've done a lot. What inspires you to do all these things on top of your day-to-day full-time job? And I don't want to sound too cliche or sappy, but like communication kind of excites me and being the person to control a message. One of the favorite things one of my professors ever said to me at Westchester was a very simple statement, but uh, communication is one of the few things that once you put it out there, you can't take it back, right? You can say like, oh, well, I meant this. Or like, well, no, that's not what I, you know, you interpreted that wrong. Once you put something out there, it's out there. So I always just got a thrill out of being the person in control of that message. So there's that part. And then I also like to, like, if there's a way I can find to help people be entertained, I like that. So whether it's putting on a newscast in Philadelphia or, yes, uh, Back Porch Cigar Reviews is a YouTube series that, to be honest, I haven't worked on much lately. I kind of hand the reins over to my dad, and the editing looks a little different now. I, I, I had a different approach, but it was like, hey, some people might like listening to two guys from Philly who've been smoking cigars together for 30 years. They might like their take on some of these. And by the and- way, if you haven't watched it, if you even smoke cigars occasionally, it is so much fun. I mean, you don't know Matt's family, but it's like two like South Philly Italian guys yeah. just sitting down smoking stogies. It is so funny. I know, Alex, I think their top video has like 200,000 views. Like some of their videos wow. have taken off. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, it's it's. I just find it fun. You know, I always enjoyed holding the camera, whether it was my dad's like home video camera when I was young, I've got my own personal camera now. Um, I'll tell you, as you, as you both know, like as you move up in your career and, and you find kind of less time for some of those old hobbies and that's the case I'm in now. And uh, as Alex says, I don't know if he told you, Rob, but we're expecting our first kid in July. So I'm sure that's going to take up a little bit more time. That's an even bigger congratulations. Thank that's you. awesome, man. Um, but I got to be honest with you, Alex, one of my exciting hobbies now, like house projects. Uh, I, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but you know, I've always been a little handy. So right now I'm putting a deck on the house. I've got a cigar cave I'm working on in the backyard. Plus got to get a baby's room finished. So I, I take joy in kind of making our house better. And by a little handy, literally anytime I have a house issue, I call Matt Toll. I'm, I'm lucky that my dad uh, is a contractor, and when I turned about 12 years old, he said uh, it was summer. He's like, all right, come on, wake up. You're going to work with me. There, he didn't ask, 
so he he ignored all child labor laws and <laughs> literally like in middle school i was working with my dad in the summers but which was honestly probably the most valuable thing my dad will ever give me because it's very nice to be able to have something break in your house and go okay i can fix that by going to lowe's and spending a hundred dollars rather than i got to pay somebody 1500 bucks to come fix this Right. Well, I think part of that too, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Alex, you feel free to weigh in on this, but most people when they're saying, oh, I do something around the house, it isn't like, eh, I'm going to add a whole deck or I'm going to add a sunroom. That's a pretty ambitious, but that speaks to the fact that you know what you're doing. That's awesome though. It's like anything else. I mean, so when I bought, I don't want to bore you guys, but when the day I settled on my house, Leah and I bought our house in February of 2019, uh, my dad got his knee replaced, and Leah's dad, uh, rest in peace, was getting a procedure for uh, cancer treatment. Um, and so the first several months in our house, we literally had no help from our very handy dads because my dad literally couldn't walk. Her dad was unfortunately very sick. So that was also, even though I knew a bunch from growing up and working with my dad, that was kind of like the first time it was like, good luck. Like, dad's not here to hold you or stop you from from screwing that in wrong. So. It's trial. And look, still, even for someone who's not handy, YouTube is very helpful. Well, and I got to say, you've been very helpful to me over the years. I remember when I first met you, I didn't know what a linen closet was. So that's, well, yeah, that's not even has to do with being handy, but I guess I was just more domesticated than you. <laughs> hey, I, we're running out of time, Matt. What What's going on in your world? Anything you want to kind of tell us about? Uh, where can we follow you? Well, I, you know, this would be a time for me to just plug uh, our show. It's uh, it, it is something I'm very proud of. It, we we built a brand new show, kind of from the ground up, about two years ago now, and sure enough, we've seen a really big build in our audience that we're very thankful for, and it, it grows seems like every month. Knock on wood. So, PHL 17 Morning News from five o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, feel free to watch. Go ahead, support my dad. Back porch cigar reviews on YouTube. If you're a whether you're a regular cigar smoker or just have one a couple times a year, it'll give you some good suggestions. And that's it. All, all that I have going on besides that, Alex, is getting ready for a kid, which I have no idea what to expect. So, Ron, I will take any <laughs> advice you have. The only advice I can give is your whole world will be flipped upside down. I can't And wait. it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And it's well <laughs> worth it. Here's the only thing just, I'm hoping where my career helped here. I already have to wake up at 2 in the morning for work. Yeah, you're all set. And my sleep schedule is already all over the place. So at least that part, I think I'll be fine with. Yeah. No, I'd say the other thing, too, my other advice is just know that you get through the first month and you'll be fine. It gets better. It right, gets Matt, better. we're going to have to have you back on our podcast once you've had your baby, once you've gotten through the first couple months, get your opinion on early fatherhood. So, yeah. I'd be happy to come back. Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much for having us, uh, for coming on our show. And uh, we're looking forward to having you on again. I, I really am flattered that uh, you guys offered to have me on. And good luck with this. I think this is going to go places. Well, thank you, Matt. We appreciate it.